From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a Vinepair Podcast special episode. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Ann Dempsey, who is the winemaker at Skyside. Ann, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. It's so great to be here with you. Yeah. So let's start with a little bit of your background. Um, I know you're a you're a California, California native, or at least a longtime California resident, but how'd you get into the wine industry and, and then make your way to Skyside? Yeah, I my my entry into the wine industry was sort of a, a slow, long trajectory. I um, was born and raised in Northern California, and I'm the granddaughter of Italian immigrants. And my grandfather was actually a winer, a winemaker. And how this looked in my family. So I grew up in the suburbs, nowhere near wine country. And but I was raised in this environment where like mealtime was almost a ceremony. Mm-hmm. And it was something that like we, no matter what, we stopped and we were just kind of present and talked about our days and talked about the food and wine at the table. And that was my upbringing. And okay. I always loved science and the outdoors. So when I went to college, I was like, how can I, how can I do something that weaves all these things together? And I took uh, an introductory to winemaking class at UC Davis. Okay. And it was this just like automatic all of a sudden it was like art, science, history, all these different attributes of what we all know and love about wine. And it just like clicked and it made Mm -hmm. sense. And I literally jumped in and never looked back. Very cool. Yeah. And then what brought you to to Skyside? Yeah, I joined Skyside really for a specific reason. Before beforehand, I had worked, I've worked in Napa, I've worked in Sonoma, um, I've worked in New Zealand and South Africa. And what I kept coming back to with wine is I spent a lot of time learning about quality at, you know, different AVAs in different areas. And what speaks to me with wine is how it really forms that like a sense of community where Mm -hmm. when I think about wine, I think about enjoying it with my friends or family and over a meal. And that is something that was really true to Skyside. Mm -hmm. So I love that about it. And additionally, I really liked the working with um, AVAs like the North Coast and larger AVAs to really play with cooler and warmer climate fruit and things like that. So that's what brought me to Skyside. Gotcha. So there's something as a winemaker probably about being able to have maybe as you were, as I would think you would sort of describe it maybe as like a broader palette to work with when you are working with some of these slightly larger areas. And as you said, sort of warmer and cooler spots within it that, that you're getting a, a broader, you know, set of, you know, kind of inputs almost than, than someone working with a single vineyard or, or even a, a smaller sub AVA might. Is that, is that sort of ring true? Exactly. Yeah. And I think for me, I, but I had to learn it on a smaller scale to really mm-hmm. understand it. Cause I needed, I'm the type of person I have to like touch the vine, see it, feel the wind. Gotcha. So I spent a long time with a, you know, a state vineyards and a smaller EVA. Um, and once I really understood how mother nature shifts and like the kinds of you know, adaptations you need to make with just experiencing harvest and making wine that's when all of a sudden it got really exciting to expand out and to really think about picking you know I want this particular flavor profile of a warm climate so I'm going to choose to work with some Lake County cab but I'd also like the structure and the coolness and the um, floral aromatics of a cooler climate so I'm going to pick this vineyard in Mendocino and that's how I think about it with Skyside. And let's talk a little bit about Skyside. So, so maybe you can walk us through a little bit. It's it's sort of origins, and then kind of how you and the team sort of see it today. 
Yeah, absolutely. It started really organically as a small offering, and it was something that um, we wanted to, you know, I can't, the winemakers at the time wanted to play with, um, you know, using different vineyards and thinking about ways to create balanced wines that were different from what they were making under the broader portfolio. And it hit, you know, um, very clearly and very quickly. Okay. It was a wine that resonated with a lot of people and it quickly expanded, you know, year after year. And so in 2017, Skyside officially became its own brand, um, which is when I came on board, the 2017 vintage, I should say. Um, and so what we're trying to do is really identify um, creating balanced wines that really showcase uh, the vineyard characteristics, wines that go great with food and um, really find unique vineyards. So I quite literally drive, you know, like since July, I've driven 10,000 miles just to go visit vineyards and find these great fruit sources. And there's like phenomenal vineyards all over the place. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's really exploration and trying to bring home something that people feel really confident in sharing with their friends and taking them with them to barbecues and enjoying on Friendsgiving, you know, things like that. Well, and that actually raises to me a really interesting question that I, I would love your thoughts on. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, we've talked to lots and lots of winemakers on the podcast over the years, and it's always interesting to do so. And I think sometimes that that winemakers like you who have this kind of a specific kind of approach to winemaking, where you're you're looking at 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 blending as being a critical component in what you do, you know. I'm always fascinated with winemakers who really do, I mean, all winemakers blend to some extent, but I think some would kind of lean into it more than others or, or, or talk about it more. So what is your, what is your blending process like a little bit? Like how do you take these sort of raw inputs or, you know, I guess they're not literally raw, but you know, this, this sort of unassembled wine and, and put it together. Yeah. Blending, you know, really blending is, is, surprising as this can be for people, blending is something that takes years because it starts with an idea that is, you know, for example, right now I'm thinking about what I want 22 vintage 2022 to look like, and it doesn't exist yet. I mean, the vines are there, the they're doing their thing, but I can't touch it. I can't feel it. So it starts with this idea of, um, you know, coupling cooler and warmer, climate vineyards together to build structure and characteristics and layers. And then, um, you know, it comes into play in reality in the cellar and it, I'm starting to think about it the second I really have grapes to taste. Mm -hmm. And because the idea that you form and really what mother nature presents you sometimes are two different things. Okay. So I figure out, you know, I have the general goal in mind and then I figure out how to take each of these small components and bring them together um, to make the wine that I'm trying to make. I see. So it's really year, you know, years, yes. And then when it comes to it, um, it's like a tasting literally monthly, kind of keeping in mind, um, let's say I have 10 lots on the table mm -hmm. and eight of them make perfect sense for the vision. And then two of them, I need to work with them to get them in line. That's, okay. that's how it's working. And then the final, final blending of like, okay, this is it happens probably um, it starts about four months in advance of bottling and then okay. try to bring a group of people together around the table to taste. Uh, and that way there's multiple palettes and it's not just um, one person. I think it helps capture different people's likes. And what will happen is 
we go back and forth with different, you know, 20% of this and 30% of that and add it all up. And there's, there's always this moment with blending where it just clicks, where everybody's like, yes, that's the one. And that's, that's what we try to search for. Very cool. And I'm wondering, you know, you, you talked about, obviously, it's important to you that the wines be, you know, versatile, that they pair well with food. And I certainly understand that. Is it challenging in blending or in, or in sort of, you know, conceiving of these wines even, though, to know that, you know, I would imagine that there's a, a significant percentage of the people who drink the Skyside wines who drink them in the way that Americans drink lots of wines. You know, they drink them at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. They drink it at 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night watching, you know, TV. That, that is not, you know, you're not, you you can't dictate to your customers too much what they do with your wine, nor, nor necessarily would you want to. And so you have to kind of create a wine that has, that fits all those use cases and more. Like, is that, is that challenging or does that just kind of come naturally? Yeah, it's, it's both of those things. It's challenging. Yes, it's challenging. And you, and it's important to really understand who you're, who is drinking the wine and what they want from it. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, somebody who will buy it and save it for 10 years. There's somebody who will buy it and drink it that night. Um, and I have to think about that. Um, and I want to think about that because I know myself as a, you know, I, I want to, I like wines that really give me something to think about that help me enjoy my food. But, you know, every time I smell and taste, I'm getting, you know, a little bit of something new out of it. And that's what I like in wine. Um, so I try to really bring that together. So it can, it can be challenging. Yes. But, um, I, I'm thinking about it from the very beginning. So I, make sure that when blending, there's components in there that will help it age. There's components in there that will help it shine right from the get-go. And that kind of helps the wine evolve over time and meet the different people's needs. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about some of uh, some of the specific wines that you guys make. So so starting on the white side with the, with the Chardonnay, you know, Chardonnay in California is a, like anywhere is kind of a, a, a can be hard to generalize because there's a lot of different approaches. Like, in general, what do you look at as being, if you were to sort of consider the platonic ideal of the Skyside Chardonnay, what is what, is, what are people experiencing with that wine? Yeah, I want to showcase Chardonnay and I want to share a piece of what I see from the vineyard on through. So I want the Chardonnay to be something where you can really taste the characteristics from the vineyard. Um, so you're seeing florals, fruit characteristics, citrus, stone fruit, but I also want and use oak as a nuance so it's it's another layer so if you imagine like the tapas of wine where Mm. what's fun about tapas is you get to play with lots of flavors that's what i try to do with the wine Uh, so it's more acid driven i don't put it through or i only put a portion through malolactic fermentation because i really like bright um you know citrus acid driven wines but it's elegant and soft and really um something that you can easily enjoy with lots of different food. And then as far as um, red blends, I mean, to me, this is a category that I, I find to be really fascinating in part because it's so open to interpretation, you know, kind of what people are expecting, what, um, what a winemaker thinks a red blend should taste like, like, again, kind of what do you envision as the, as sort of, you know, for, for people who maybe haven't tried it before, what should they expect going into the Skyside red blend? Well, I personally am a huge, huge, huge fan of Merlot, and I love medium-bodied wines. Um, so I, to me, 
our Skyside Red Blend is really my ode to Merlot. So I use Merlot and I use both cooler and warm climate Merlot as my core. And if you imagine yourself, you know, cooking a meal, cooking chicken tonight, use, um, use this core of Merlot. And then I use the other blenders as ways to help the Merlot shine. Um, the blenders will shift year to year because mother need, you know, Cabernet doesn't taste exactly the same from one year to the next. Um, but it's really trying to capture that medium bodied, um, red wine. And there, there is structure, but it's in a nice, um, sort of like velvet way. So it's, I like wines that are completely dry that don't have sugar. Um, and that really showcase what the vineyard gives us. And are you getting to that kind of velvety texture through, is that through barrel aging? Is that through kind of ripeness of the fruit? Like what, what kind of comes to, because I think that that descriptor is something that a lot of people do like in wine, but they may not understand kind of how a wine they like gets there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a lot of things. It's picking the varietals that I work with. So for example, a hint of Malbec gives you mm-hmm. a nice, um, nice, really soft texture in your mouth when you just take your first sip. Um, and a lot of it comes from how you actually work with the grapes themselves. Okay. I like to use a really hands-off guided approach, I would say, to pump overs. So it's okay. helping the grapes. Um, so you get your flavor, you get your extraction when the um, skins are in contact with the wine and tank. Okay. And as the winemaker, you get to dictate how much extraction you get from it. So you sure. can, you know really do a lot of pump overs and get a big bold wine um you can go really soft and take it off the skins early and get something um more approachable so i kind of play between um i kind of like a little bit longer time on skins um, because i feel like the the wine finds its balance in this really nice place so it's fermented through it's probably mostly if not completely dry um, and still on skins. And then the wine has this like tipping point where all of a sudden you can see the wine that it's going to be, um, okay. where it stops smelling and tasting like a fermentation and it really tastes more like a finished wine. And then I wait a couple days because that's right when the mid palate starts to develop and just literally, it's almost like it's marinating. That's okay. what I call it with the seller team. And they laugh every time. Um, cause just having the contact there, um, is really building the wine. And so speaking of, you know, texture, tannin and structure and all that, um, the third wine that you guys, that you make is a Cabernet Sauvignon. And obviously, you know, people have, again, their own sets of, uh, preferences and opinions when it comes to Cabernet Sauvignon as they do with most things. Um, but, but for you, what again, kind of defines, um, your style and, and again, what people, uh, having a bottle of Skyside could expect. Yeah. I think, um, what defines my style is a soft approach that showcases power in an elegant way. So what that means is I want like Cabernet is a, is a powerful, strong grape. And for me, sometimes I think it's so strong, it's hard to appreciate. Okay. Um, so I really try to showcase the fruit characteristics and give it a sort of softer style. So it's more, it's, I think it surprises a lot of people. It's more fruit driven and um, uses oak to help really enhance the aromas, um, but is also balanced and kind of in a softer way. So it's lower on the alcohol spectrum. So, you know, below 15 and a lot of California Cabernets have a lot of alcohol. So it's something that I think, I think there's a lot of people out there that um, 
shy away a little bit from Cabernet. And this is one that I think can speak to a, a wider audience. And then I believe not out yet, but coming soon is a Pinot Noir. And Pinot Noir, not only um, a new uh, variety for you through Skyside, but also coming from a different part of California. So can you talk a little bit about the Pinot Noir, what people can look for in that, and then what maybe, if anything, is different about working with fruit from the Central Coast as opposed to the North Coast? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about this wine. It's fun to see it finally come out and ready to, to share with people. It's it was our, you know, we were looking at, we, we knew we wanted a Pinot Noir and we were looking at what we wanted to do with that. And our thought really with Skyside is it's this idea that California is an amazing place. There are so many different areas that can grow phenomenal grapes. And so we wanted to take Skyside on the road and explore for us a new region. Okay. Um, and we really thought that the Central Coast showcased, um, Similar characteristics, there's that ocean influence, there's um, lots of different elevations, there's different soil types, and there's a way to show complexity in lots of layers, like I was talking about before, mm -hmm. and just in a different way. So that was our goal with um, this Pinot Noir. So I want it to be something you can see the floral aromatics, the fruit. Um, it's got, it's nice and soft and silky. It's got the tannin and structure to hang, um, but is definitely very approachable from the get-go. Gotcha. And when it comes to sort of a, a unifying thing about all the wines, I know that, um, you know, kind of in conceiving of this sort of Skyside as its standalone brand, as opposed to kind of something out, um, you know, connected with another winery, I know sustainability is also a big part of that. So maybe, you know, sustainability is a word that certainly we we hear a lot about and, and understandably and rightly, but, you know, maybe first you can sort of talk about for you and for Skyside kind of what what defines sustainability when you're looking at, at, you know, vineyards and at winemaking more broadly? Yeah. Skyside, you know, sustain, yes, sustainability is something that can be really confusing. And for us, it's a very personal decision. It's, you know, you have to ask yourself as, uh, as somebody who's using the land and producing wine, how can I help make sure that this land and this, all these resources are here for the future? And that was how we started. So when we looked at the different options that we had um, available, we realized what we wanted to do is make sure that we only partner with um, vineyards that are certified sustainable. Um, because we work in such a wide array of regions and we have everything from, you know, elevations of a thousand feet to valley floors to next to rivers, like we have a lot of different types of um, region or little individual areas that our vineyards are in. So we wanted to create something that we felt each vineyard owner could maximize their particular situation. Okay. Um, so as of our 2019 vintage, all of our grapes are hundred percent certified sustainable. And we accept a couple different ones. Um, for example, fish friendly farming, we accept organic certification, we accept Lodi rules. Um, there's several that are around and all of these certifications have one thing in common that they ask the vineyard to consciously use inputs okay. and to manage them carefully so that you really care for the longevity of your land. Okay. And that, that's what, um, and then we also like the word sustainable because it's not just land, it's people. And a lot of these certifications really require, um, that you're taking care of the people that work there too. And that's super important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a really good point. And something we try to talk about a lot on the podcast is that 
element of sustainability that encompasses not just farming, um, but also, yeah, the, the way that, you know, people are and, and, and other parts of the, in the broader community are treated in the winemaking or whatever process. Um, as we kind of sort of move towards the end of the conversation here, I have a couple more questions that I wanted to get to. Um, the first is that, you know, I, I'm curious, you know, we talked a little bit about kind of this idea of, of crafting a wine that can be broadly appealing in a lot of different circumstances to a lot of different kinds of wine drinkers. And, you know, you also talked about, you know, kind of knowing your, your consumer, how, you know, how do you get to know your, your wine drinkers? Like what, what is that process like? Because, you know, it's, it might be the case for some wineries and some winemakers that you know they're they hear they hear directly from a lot of their drink the, the people who buy their wine. I, I, that may be the case for you as well. I'm just curious, like how how do you get that kind of feedback and and um, and information about the people who are drinking your wines? Yeah, I um, I get out there. I well, you know, in our pre-COVID life, um, I traveled quite a bit to different markets and um, anywhere from New York to Florida to Japan to different places and really talk to people about wines and really uh, for me, it's asking questions like what, what do you like? What do your customers like? If you're at a restaurant, what are people asking for? Um, and paying attention to that. And I think, um, and then doing the very humbling thing of, you know, presenting your wine in a blind lineup and really asking groups of experts, like what, how, what does this wine look like and how does it show? And um, it's, it's a constant effort. You know, if you think about it as a winemaker, I am I'm operating in the future of what people are going to see. Um, so I have to really keep tabs on what what's resonating with the vintage that we have released so that I can make sure to honor that in the vintage that I'm making now. And then my last question is, you know, for people who are interested in these wines, what are the best ways to go out and find them? Yes, these wines are available um, at wine.com. You can use Drizzly. They're available at Target um, and you know, at certain grocery stores in your area. Depends on where you live, but those are good places to start. It must be pretty cool to like walk into Target and be like, that's my wine. I, that is I not a thrill it. that most winemakers get. <laughs> yeah, I actually really love it because I think, you know, we all, Target has become, well, for me anyway, it's it's a place that, there's a lot of things you need there, and yeah. um, it's exciting to see how much good wine is at Target. Like, there's a lot of great stuff there. Yeah, I gotta admit, I haven't done a lot of wine shopping at Target, but uh, I have two kids, so there's a lot of Target trips in my life, as it turns out. Yeah, take uh, a look. It's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Next time and I'm there, I will for sure. When I'm there, I may re, you know, realign the labels and make sure everything's <laughs> <laughs> standing out. Yeah, I gotta yeah. face those bottles. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, all right, Anne. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time and learning a little more about Skyside. And I uh, look forward to giving the Pinot Noir a try when it comes out and uh, just seeing what you guys do uh, in years into the future. Absolutely. And I just wanted to mention one quick thing. Um, oh, sure. From October to December this year, uh, we are participating in supporting the James Beard Foundation's Open for Good initiative. And this uh -huh. is something we thought was really um, important with Skyside. Restaurants are a big, huge part of our business and it's our community. And we wanted to do something that supports them getting back on their feet after everything they've been through. So a portion of the proceeds um, for purchases of Skyside from October to December of this year will go to this Open for Good initiative. Excuse me. And I'll, I'll make, we'll make sure to include a link to that in uh, the show description as well. Um, and thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it and look forward to chatting with you down the road. All right, thank you so much.
Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.